0: All right, we're in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 today. It talks about the rapture of the church. 1st Thessalonians 4:13 through 18. And why don't we why don't we stand for the reading of God's word today? Let's just stand up in honor and in surrender of it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. God, we are comforted by those words, Lord. Open up our minds today and our hearts, Lord, to understand this reality to a greater degree. Increase our faith, Lord, and our hope, Lord. Insert your love in our hearts and your Holy Spirit fill us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. We've been trucking through 1 Thessalonians. Bob got us going through the first couple chapters and uh, Pastor Bob and... Earlier in 1 Thessalonians, we see that, that the Thessalonians are enduring persecution and yet they're standing strong in their faith. Uh, Paul had sent a messenger, that messenger was Timothy, to get a report and to encourage them. And Timothy came back and said, Paul, they're doing great. They're loving all the brethren uh, in all of Macedonia. They're standing strong in their faith. They're enduring persecution. Um, and so Paul writes to them here in First Thessalonians and he affirms what they're doing. And he contends that they live holy lives, that they live pure lives, that they love one another more and more, that they increase. He says, you're doing the right thing, keep doing it, double down on that. And then he says, uh, endeavor to lead quiet lives, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, being an example to other people. And now, in verse 13, Paul addresses a different topic, he shifts gears to one that must have been causing some confusion or some anxiety in the Thessalonians, and as stated, the Thessalonians had been enduring some persecution. It's, it's very likely that some of them had lost their lives, or that there was a threat that they could or would lose their lives in the future. The first, um, the, the church at Thessalonica, they were probably expecting much more than we: the imminent return of Christ they were probably thinking it's got to be today or tomorrow or, or for sure this year. <clears throat> and, and we're kind of there too. But they must have just thought that very regularly, that Christ was coming back very soon. And so maybe when a loved one passed away, they would think, oh no, are they not going to see the return of Jesus? Are they going to miss the, the kingdom of God as Jesus comes back and, and rules it? And there's some uncertainty there. It must have been. Uh, maybe they lost a leader, a real strong elder or pastor in the, in the church of Thessalonica. And, and they're thinking, oh, no, How, how's he gone? And Jesus isn't here yet. Whatever the case, uh, Paul feels the need to address this topic beginning in verse 13. And he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I do not want you to be ignorant. Ignorant means uninformed or unintelligent. Did you guys ever watch the Andy Griffin Show? (laughs) This guy was always ignorant. He always either lacked the the right information or he interpreted the right information wrongly. And uh, it always led to, his ignorance led to foolish choices, a lack of wisdom, uh, incorrect judgments, and, and he was a hoot, if you ever watched the Andy Griffin show, "Barney Fife." <clears throat> God does not want us to be ignorant concerning His principles, his promises. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about death, either. He does want us to be ignorant about sin. He doesn't want us to know the depths. And experiences, and repercussions, and consequences of sin, but he does want us to be ignorant. Uh, he wants us to be ignorant of those things, but he wants us to be wise, as his children wise about his kingdom and his truths. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. He uses the term brethren. We talked last week, or two weeks ago, brethren, that means fellow believers, those who put their faith in Christ, those who had the spirit of Christ living in their hearts. It says, You, as believers in Jesus, shouldn't be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep. Paul is speaking about those believers who have already died, and yet instead of saying died or instead of saying passed away, he says fallen asleep. Why does he do that? Why does he not say dead? Interesting to see that Jesus does the same thing, On more than one occasion. Look in Matthew 9, 18 through 19, and 23 through 25. While Jesus spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and he followed him, and so did his disciples. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand, and the little girl rose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Another instance where we see Jesus um, using the term asleep is in John 11, 11 through 13. And this is when Jesus catches word that his good friend Lazarus was sick, very sick, in Bethany. Um, and he, he talks to his disciples. He says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking, our, uh, about taking in sleep. When Paul uses the word asleep, he's using a word that actually is much more accurate than the word death for a believer. Death is not the end for a believer. It's merely a physical event, a bodily transition on the way to eternity, on the way to a new body. Number two on your notes today, if you're tracking or following along, and if you're watching online, these can be downloaded at our website or our Facebook page, Life Church MH. <clears throat> Death is temporary. Humans are composed of three main categories. We could say maybe more than three, but three main categories categories, uh, spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, this is just the next chapter, we'll get into this probably next week or the next couple weeks. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. That means may, it be, um, may you live your life wholly for the Lord, and may your mind be renewed in the things of the Lord. Uh, your spirit is already made new by what Jesus Christ has done if your faith is in him. But whether you live or die, may your, soul, your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. Our body is a vehicle that we get around in, and um, it can take us so far. The soul is our intellect, our emotions. The spirit is actually the most real and tangible part of who you are, and yet it seems to be the one we're most ignorant about. The spirit can interact with God on another level. It has the greatest capacity of the three. It can discern things that the mind cannot. In fact, if if you need help discerning by, well, what's the difference between my mind or my soul and my spirit? Read God's word, the Bible. Read his word, and there will be some discernment that happens there. Look at this in in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's good, that's why we have the Bible. It speaks to our spirit, awakens us, renews our soul, renews our mind. When you die, number three, the spirit leaves the body. For the body without the spirit is dead. We have, when Jesus is dying on the cross, um, he cries out in a loud voice, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, or receive my spirit, he says. Stephen in Acts uh, 7.59, when he's being stoned to death, um, as he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, as he was being stoned, receive my spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So maybe your body today looks and feels like this one this car. This vehicle gets scratches and dings and rust and too many miles, and it would never be able to handle the terrain, the treasures, the pleasures of heaven. But We just read that we're going to put off this tent, this body. We're going to inherit a new vehicle. You can turn to someone and say, you think I look good now? <laughs> just Wait. Just wait. Look at Paul when he talks to the church of Philippi. He says, Philippians 1, 21 through 26, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, To remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul is saying, I really want to just, I know when I die, I'm with Jesus, and I that's what I'd kind of rather be. But I know God has me here for a reason. And I know I'm supposed to be a blessing to you guys and encourage you in the faith. And so I know I'm pretty certain that I'm going to stay here. I don't think God's going to take me yet, is what he's saying. I want you to see something really neat in this next passage. Uh, Hebrews 12, through 24. This is, this is cool because sometimes people say, well, are we, does our spirit, is it with Christ right away? Or is it like stay dead with our body and then it comes back later? Here's a verse that I would, I would say along with the prior one saying our spirit is with God right away. When the writer of Hebrews contrasts the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the difference between the Ten Commandments and the Gospel, um, the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai. The Gospel was given on Mount Zion at, at Jerusalem. He says this, but you have come, he's talking to the believers of Thessalonians, you've come to Mount Zion to the Gospel and to the city of the living God, Heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. The spirits of the just made perfect are in heaven already. When you come to the gospel, you're coming to, to God and Mount Zion and Jesus and the spirits who are, and the angels and the spirits of those of us who are already in heaven. To the spirits of just men made perfect. Many more references, a lot of them in Revelation. But that verse 13 there, it says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be like Barney Fife, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Sorrow. Grief, distress, heaviness, deep emotional pain. And I won't pretend to understand or know the sorrows that each person has had to endure. But I do know that as a Christ follower, we do not have to sorrow as those who have no hope. Not to the same degree of sorrow, not hopelessness, not the end. Not the end of the book, end of a chapter, not the end of a book. Hope, we don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. Hope is expectation, confidence, trust, certainty of the future. It's a little different than our present understanding of the word hope. We say, I hope we can go to grandma's tomorrow, or I hope the bears win You know, I don't really have a confidence about it. I just have a desire for it. So I I can talk a big game and talk a lot of smack, and it appears that I'm very confident, but actually inside, I'm just, uh, I don't think it'll happen. I hope it does, but that's kind of how we use the word hope. When the word hope is used in the Bible, and if you look at the Greek, it is a certain expectation, uh, a very certain expectation of the future, a confidence, a trust. So when you see that word, think of it a little differently than you would at our English way if we use that word there. You know sorrow is those who have no confident, certain expectation. Yeah. Church, there should be a, a visible contrast, a very uh, visible contrast between an unbeliever and a believer when a loved one dies. Our identity is not linked primarily to that individual, but to God Himself, who created us and made us for Himself. So all is not lost. Our value and our purpose is found in God, not in another person. It's found in God. Our separation from that loved one is momentary, is very temporary. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that today? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose? Maybe, and some of you, your facial expression doesn't change at all, but in your mind you're like, it's kind of hard to believe though kind of hard to believe that someone died and rose from the dead. And that's a long time ago, and it's what people say, and I, it's kind of hard to. This um, sermon today is not focused on the resurrection of Jesus, but I just want to give a, a few bullet points to awaken your spirit. Um, we're in an isolated world today with COVID-19, very isolated, and a very media-filtered perspective we hear what the media wants us to hear, right? I mean, you, you try to go on to some Google search engines, and you put in some key phrases, and it won't allow you to see Christian materials that you're looking for. It's becoming more and more difficult sometimes to find or get what you're looking for because it's filtered, or they'll give you something else that they would rather you see than what you're searching for. I don't like that. Internet providers are starting to block a lot of Christian-related material. We're actually becoming more detached from history all the time. There's a lot of historical revisionism that's happening through the media, reinterpretation of history. And, um, and it's hard. A lot of times we don't see and hear the testimonies of those around us who place their faith in Jesus. So I realized that the gospel is a vastly different reality than what's floated in our, in, in postmodern academia and in pop culture, uh, secular pop culture. Yet still today, still today, over half of the population of the entire world traces their history or their lineage back to Abraham. That's, that's, that's a big deal. When people understand history in light of a person named Abraham. So the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians all trace their history or lineage back to a real man named Abraham and events that happened in history. Abraham's son Isaac, Jacob, Esau, 12 tribes of of Israel for a Christian and Jews, Ishmael for the um, Muslims, if any open-minded person were to read the Jewish law and scriptures that were written hundreds and thousands of years B.C., open-minded person reads those, those scriptures, they would see hundreds of specific prophecies foretelling that God intended to redeem humanity through a promised Messiah from the get-go. The oldest records of, of writing that we have, some of the, some of the oldest, Endless foreshadowings and prophecies of a promised Messiah to be born in Bethlehem from the seed of Abraham, tribe of Judah, descendant of King David, to die as a sacrificial lamb at the time of the Jewish Passover feast, by crucifixion, laying down his life for the sins of the world. It's prophesied ahead of time that his body would not seek corruption, but that he would rise after three days. So we're not talking like superstitions or myths or or make-believe. These were things that are written down, and you can read them today, that the Jews have preserved. It's their scriptures, and they may not even believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, a lot of the Jewish people don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but they stand by all of these, all their scriptures, which have all of these prophecies in them. precise and practical it talks uh, the prophecies talk about the exact decade that the Messiah was to come the exact mountain top mountain range where he was to die Mount Moriah and he indeed came in that decade he indeed was born in Bethlehem those are things you can't orchestrate I can't control where I'm born I could try to fulfill the prophecies on my own but I was born in Rapid City South Dakota so the exact time when he was to be born, the exact family he was to come from, where, how he was to die, and that he would rise from the dead after three days. If you read the words of Jesus himself when he was alive, he would say over and over again, I will die and I will take back up my life after three days. And people are like, What's he He's being metaphorical. He's being figurative here. He was being the son of God. The promised Messiah. Doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Jesus died bodily, and then he rose bodily. Many in academia and in cults, actually, in some churches, um, liberal s- seminaries, they teach that Jesus didn't um, physically rise from the dead. They say it's figurative or symbolic, and yet look at, look at Jesus' words here, John two nineteen. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to them, "'Destroy this temple,' And in three days I will raise it up. And it's actually just a sub point. He says, Destroy this temple, my body, and in three days I, who is I? It's his spirit. The spirit leaves the body, but he says, And I, I will raise it up again. You kill my body, but then my spirit will raise up the bo- my body again. I will raise it up again. The spirit exists apart from the body. John 10, 17 through 18. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. How about Luke 24, 39? Um, When he came back alive, uh, 11 of the disciples, or 10 of the disciples, they saw him, and they're like, oh my word, you're alive, you're risen from the dead. First they thought he was a ghost, and he says, well, give me some food. Do go, go eat food? Give me some food. And he eats some food in front of them, they're like, oh my word, you're, what? Unbelievable. One of the disciples is gone, it's Thomas, and they tell the other disciples, hey, we saw the risen Lord, and he says, I won't believe it unless I, unless I put my fingers in his nail holes. I will not, I'm not gonna believe that. Jesus, the next time Jesus shows up to the disciples and Thomas, he says, oh, um, well, I don't even have that verse on there. He says, Thomas, put your, put your finger in my, in my nail holes. Put your, put your hand in my side. And, and Thomas falls down, my Lord and my God. He says, my Lord and my God. Behold my hands, my feet, that it is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have, Jesus said to his disciples. Paul, when he's writing to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. We just see it falling asleep again. So temporary, falling asleep. If you sat in a court of law and you had over 500 people testify one at a time, that they had seen the risen Jesus in the same place at the same time, that would be pretty compelling. 500 people, they say they saw him in the same place at the same time. If you saw that 11 of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples were martyred, were killed for their testimony that they had seen Jesus Christ alive, that he'd risen from the dead, when all they had to do is say, okay, maybe he didn't rise from the dead, that they were killed for the reason that they said Jesus is alive. They say, say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and we won't kill you. They said, no, Jesus is alive. Such conviction and such truth that they had to stand on. They were willing to, who would give their life for a lie in that, on that stand, right? So, um, Jesus did rise. Their experience could not be intimidated by threat of death. The greatest evidence, you know, just last bullet point here, is not as compelling as the historical writings and the evidences, secular and and um, biblical sources, speaking of Christ in the first century, as compelling as those are, there is a power that changes people like no self-help book, like no class, like no psychologist could ever help. When a person puts their trust in the Messiah, Jesus comes into their heart, the spirit of Christ. And the guilt and the shame and condemnation that we carry with us as human beings is gone like that. When we believe and we receive um, the grace of God through Jesus Christ, he said, I came to lay down my life for my friends. I came to pay the sin debt that everybody on the face of the earth owes. And whoever believes in me will have life. God's desire is to give grace and mercy to humanity. We deserve judgment, but God's di- desire is for us to live with him, to be redeemed, redeemed. If you believe, if you accept and rely on his atoning death and resurrection, the one that was prophesied about, the one that all the nations were looking for, Jesus the Messiah, this is hidden today, right? We're too smart to believe this stuff now today, right? Then you will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Thessalonians, they believed in the gospel. And we continue with our verse back on track. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Just as God gave Jesus the right and the power to take back up his life, so will he give to us whose faith is in Jesus. In Jesus. You need to jump into the Jesus car to get to heaven. Your car won't get you there. Your smartness, your wisdom, your good works are like filthy rags, right? It's only an extension of our own self righteousness. I'm a good person. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God desires us to receive mercy and grace. We need the mercies and graces of Jesus. We need to be clothed in his righteousness. Marriage with Jesus is awesome. We become his bride and he leads us and he provides for us and he protects us. Our life is his and his life is ours. I live for Jesus now. I gave Christ my sin and death. He gave me a spirit of righteousness and life. 1 Timothy 1, 11, This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we give our sins to Christ, they were crucified on the cross. Those are, those are done away with. They've been paid for. We shall live with him. Verse 15 for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. He says, we say to you by the word of the Lord. He says, I'm not, I'm not telling you something new here. I'm just reiterating on something that Jesus has said. By the word of the Lord, um, what I'm saying to you is derived from Jesus himself. In fact, um, Number one on your notes under verse 15, Jesus' promise. John 6 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 5 24 through 28. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Verse 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of God, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Church, death has no finality. Those in Christ will be raised from the dead. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 50 through 54. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That word of the Lord, that's what Paul's reiterating. He says Jesus has already said all of these things. I'm reminded, don't be ignorant. Do you remember what Jesus said? Don't be ignorant about death. Those who passed away will not miss out. They won't be delayed in experiencing the resurrection. They're not going to miss out on the return of Jesus. They're not going to have any disadvantage. They're not going to be the back row or the last through the door. In fact, we won't see Jesus or go ahead of them, the dead. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. This is going to be wild. Jesus is going to descend from heaven. Come down from heaven, from the air, from heaven, the sky, the atmosphere, the stars, from another dimension. From eternity, carrying with him his power and his glory into our time and space. With a shout, a word of command, an order, in a rousing cry. The, the word there that's used in the Greek is that to um, rouse an animal, or, or an order, men, Ten hut. It, it is something that no one will miss. No one will miss. Who do you know that commands a room with their voice? Think of somebody that you know. They talk and everybody's, who is some booming voice? Needs no microphone. There will be no mistake who is in charge and who is subordinate. The world will look up and they will realize fully that they are not in the position of authority that they think they are in. But they are fully accountable to King Jesus. Fully accountable. No mistake then. With the voice of an archangel, the voice, voice, sound, noise, voice, language, dialect, disclosure, boldly. um, The voice of an archangel. Archangel is a ruler of angels. It's a chief. It's a superior angel. Great power. In my mind, you see, when you see a court, Um, show on television, and and the judge starts walking in or gets ready to walk in, and you have the the main officer to the side says, all stand for the honorable judge, so-and-so. The archangel is going to say, everybody stand up. Jesus is here. King Jesus is here. Jesus comes back with a shout. The chief angel, archangel, stand up. Jesus is here. In hut. Number hut. Uh, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The trumpet there properly is a war trumpet. It's a war trumpet that boldly announces God's victory and the vanquishing of his enemies. What is, um, help me out, what is the UW fight song? Wisconsin. How does it, hum it if you... She's not even from Wisconsin. Is that that the one? Dun, 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 dun. Okay. That is nothing like God's victory song. God has a victory song. Get ready. When his trumpet blows, that's his victory song. And nobody will miss the return of Jesus. You'll you'll either be like this baby here. you'll You'll be like you kidding me oh you might be like this baby here oh no but either way you will not miss the return of jesus christ to earth you don't have to church you don't have to worry about missing him like i what if i miss him you will not miss him right what if i don't recognize you'll recognize him right Take that weight off your shoulder. You don't have to worry about seeing or recognizing him. No one will fail to see him. If you are in your basement den with music blaring, you will not miss the return of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this about his return at the end of time. Matthew 24, 23 through 27. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, therefore, if if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be unmistakable. What might that look like? What might that look like? A lot of people have drawn renderings. A lot of people have tried. They pale. Not even close. But it helps us to have something to think about or look toward. It should be noted this morning that some believe in, a. Uh, many Christians believe in a singular return of Jesus. Others believe in a two-part, a rapture and then a return of Jesus at a later time. There's other, Maybe some other interpretations out there as well. The point is number two, on your notes under that verse, is everyone will see the king, yeah. including the high priest who, interrogate, who interrogated Jesus, the high priest who was primarily responsible for pushing the verdict. Look at Mark 14. 60 through 62. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent, and he answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven, I am, and guess what? you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. That high priest is going to see Jesus coming back. Man, the return of Jesus will be the greatest moment of all time for those who've received the mercies of God. for those who've humbled themselves and said, "I'm a sinner. For those who justify their sin or deny their sin or ignore their sin. <clears throat> It'll be the worst moment of all time for those who rejected the mercies of God. God desires to forgive every person on earth. Continuing with our verse there, <clears throat> our, our primary verse in 16, it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, what about those who don't have a physical body? I mean, my, my grandma was cremated. What about those who are eaten by lions or deteriorated in the ocean? We're told that the dead will not miss out, but that they will actually come out of the earth. And that would include the ocean. Their ashes, their DNA, wherever or however it is, will be back and better than ever. Remember, um, God initially created the first man out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into him the spirit. he created Eve with a rib of Adam. He, it, it, one of the things in life and in nature that utterly blows my mind is how um, conception occurs. You know, you guys know that? How <laughs> conception occurs. How in the world from that do bones start forming in the womb, a full skeletal system? And everything else, how? So amazing. That's a side note, but wherever your DNA is or however it is at the time of Christ's return, it'll be back and better than ever, assembled in such a way. You'll receive a new glorious body at that time, by the way. Um, Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. After the dead are raised, then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Um, Many of the believers who are on the earth at the time of Christ's return may be undergoing persecution at the hands of culture or government. Uh, There's many verses in the Bible that speak of a worsening of morals and a rise of tribulation at the end of days certainly says that some will die, but others, like in this verse 17, others who remain alive will be caught up to meet him, meet the Lord in the air. The word caught up in the Greek means seized by force. Suddenly and decisively take by an open display of force, like someone seizing bounty almost. It's like God saying, like, these Christians are being persecuted or sought out. And God's like, oh, they belong to me. Thank you. Those are mine. Thanks. They belong to me. The kingdoms of earth will not be able to hold us back. Gravity will not be able to hold us down. Matthew 24, 31, Jesus said this himself. He said, and he will send his angels, he's speaking of himself, with the great sound of a trumpet, And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, north, south, east, west, from one end of heaven to the other, to meet the Lord in the air. Oh, to meet the Lord. Oh, to finally see the one in whom all of our hope lies, our creator, our shepherd, our protector, our provider, our comforter, our savior the lover of our souls, our father, our friend, our king. The weight and the burdens of earth will be no more. The anxieties, the fears, the threats, the tears, the sadness, the sorrows, the disappointments, the depression. The hurt will be lifted. We will be lifted to be with Jesus in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord how long forever at all times forevermore with the Lord faith will give way to sight hope will give way to possession love will endure and it will be perfected Romans 8:38 through 39 says this this is Paul speaking he says for I am persuaded That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We just did. We just did. God is good, and God loves us, and God cares about us. I am so thankful for His truth. Lord, we thank you for your word today, Lord. You just put it right on paper for us. <clears throat> We're ignorant, Lord, but you don't want us to be that way. We thank you, Lord, for reiterating your truths to us today and increasing our faith, Lord. Thank you for faith vitamins that you give us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that connects with us, Lord, at the deepest levels. We thank you, Lord, for giving us strength each day that we need. We ask you to help us, Lord, in this media-saturated culture, Lord, to have the mind of Christ, to have your perspective, and to experience your presence. We thank you for your great principles, Lord. Your kingdom is founded and based on the most excellent principles, nobility, truth, justice, righteousness, generosity. Compassion. And only you, Jesus, deserve the glory and the honor. And if you this morning thinking you know what I have never really put my faith in Jesus but I know I need to do that you say how do I do that You, uh, you confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is your savior you know you admit to God I'm a sinner and you say God I accept that Jesus is the Messiah that you promised and I believe that he died for my sins I put my faith in him Lord, put your spirit in me. And God will do that. That's his promise, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's called being born again. That means you're a baby Christian. That also means that God's Holy Spirit is going to begin training you from this day until the end of your life or till Jesus comes back He's going to be instructing you and challenging you, encouraging you, convicting you when you need that to make you more like Jesus. And Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, is going to be with you, never to leave you nor forsake you until the return of Christ himself. For those of us who've been Christians for a long time, comfort yourselves, one another, with these words. And keep fighting the good fight. It's a good one. It's a great one. God, we thank you for our missionaries, Lord, they are here today, Christopher and Holly. Lord, bless them as they're in Africa, helping other people know you. And pray for Bob and Debbie. Refresh them, Lord, in their vacation commit this week to you. In Jesus' name, Amen.